Hi guys, welcome back to We Should Talk, a pop culture interview series from In The Know. I'm your host, Gibson Johns, and this week on the podcast, we have Jordana Abraham and Sammy Sage, who are two of the co-founders of Betches Media. Betches was founded about 10 years ago as basically a standalone blog, but since it's turned into this multi-platform media company with podcasts and books and meme accounts and and just it's it, it's really a far-reaching brand and what's central to it is that it's founded by young women and it's for young women and and they're really growing with their audience but you know it was really fascinating to hear about their origin story and how the brand has grown over the years because it really came of age came of age you know it really grew at the same time as bro culture was also permeating the culture and kind of fueled by companies like Barstool Sports and they were kind of growing alongside that but the difference of how they were both those companies were treated is very different and so to hear about kind of from the inside how they viewed how different people were perceiving their company or, or, or kind of misinterpreting their company and their and their mission and it was just really fascinating to hear that that side of it um, halfway through the interview we kind of switch gears to talking pop culture a lot of Bravo stuff because I one I can't help myself but two Pop culture is really kind of intrinsic to the DNA of, of Betches. And if, if you are in sort of that Bravo social media space, if you follow pop culture accounts on, on Instagram and Twitter, chances are you have probably come across a Betches account or, or Betches content because they do a really, really good job of of permeating that that those spheres. And so um, I loved hearing their thoughts on, on these things. And again, I can't help myself, but they completely held their own and they really know their stuff. So it was fun to pick their brains about all things Bravo and some other pop culture topics. Keep listening for my interview with Jordana Abraham and Sammy Sage from Betches Media. And please rate, review, and subscribe to We Should Talk on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so we are here with two of the co-founders of Betches Media, Jordana Abram and Sammy Sage. How are you guys? Thanks for being here. We're Thanks great. For Thank you for us. having us. We're, we course. still like to speak at the exact same time, so get excited. <laughs> it's Have you guys done a lot of podcasts together over the years, I'm assuming? Honestly, we do them all the time. So we are very, we're very the much pros. We should probably just come up with a signal by now for when, for like who is going to talk next. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. After 10 years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's been 10 years since, since, since Betches started, um, you know, you've grown it into this incredible multi-platform media company that has, you know, I see it every day on social media. It has this amazing reach, especially I think for, for our generation of millennials and, you know, before we get into sort of that success story, I'd love for you to just kind of give me the TLDR on how you guys met, how it started. I'm sure you've told the story a million times, but for people listening that aren't familiar with the story, let us know. Sammy, do you want to take this one? Sure. I mean, I was trying to pass out a hand. <laughs> she gave you a little point. point. <laughs> yeah. Obviously that didn't work this time. Okay. So yeah, we have known each other, us and our third co-founder, Eileen, Eileen Drexler. We have known each other since we were very young children. I think we met in like elementary school, all of us at different points. Um, and then we, you know, we were friends in middle school and high school, and we ended up going to college together at Cornell. That's actually where we started Betches. We started, we were living together in an apartment our senior year. It was, gets very cold in Ithaca and very boring. Oh yeah. So we were kind of just, um, you know, there was a lot of, at the time, just culturally, there was a lot of Fratire was very popular. If you remember like Tucker Max and, oh, yeah. you know, and that was being a bar stool. Yep. Exactly. So 
that was very popular at the time. And I think, you know, where the concept for Betches and what it eventually became is that there was really no like female counterpart. And we felt that there was not really anything on the internet that spoke to the type of women that we were, which was a little bit more edgy, you know, unafraid to say, you know, what was on our minds at the time, much more confused than I think we had realized. Um, <laughs> but, you know, so we really, you know, were writing satirical observations and humor about kind of the culture that we were in. And that was the end of our senior year of college. And wow. um, that eventually, you know, we were basically put in touch with the book agent and that essentially kind of kicked off the next 10 years where we, you know, continued writing and, and got on Instagram and then into podcasting and, and, you know, so much more. The rest so, is history. Yeah. yeah well, I remember is, I, I was yeah. in college around that time and I remember reading the early days of, of Bet- when it was called Betches Love This. And it was just, yes. I remember it was, it was essentially what, what I thought of it as like a blog and like there were different posts about specific things. And it was very satirical. Yeah. In the beginning, it was really the three of us and we would write and then one of us would write it and then the other two would edit it. And then the third person would publish it. It was like, that was all the three of us really did. And I think part of it was like a fun outlet for us to sort of describe the world around us. And even like some of the things that seemed a little messed up at the time, I think we were kind of like, we don't want to be like haters and be like writing like a scholarly critique of these things, but maybe if we parody them, um, it'll be like a funny, fun way to sort of like make some social commentary. Totally, totally. And, and, and I, I got that, but I, there was, there were clearly people that didn't get it at the time and maybe still don't get it. But I, mm-hmm. I remember I, I like, I had in the back of my head when, when I was researching for this interview, I was like, I remember watching a today show interview that you guys did. And like, I remember it feeling like kind of awkward and like, like that, that like Hoda and Kathy Lee, like just did not understand what you guys were doing. And I went back and rewatched that this morning and it, it just struck me as like, they just, totally did not latch on to what they didn't, they weren't buying what you were selling. Yeah. And, and, and I was one of the people who was, but what, what did, I guess, what do you remember about that interview and what did it tell you about, what did it tell you about sort of like, you know, who wasn't getting what you guys were putting out there? That's, uh, that's a really interesting point. No one's really brought up that interview for us in a while. It's a, it's a nice, <laughs> um, I, I remember that interview and I remember feeling like they just didn't get it. They didn't really get what we were doing. I think that like, if you don't look deeper into what we were doing, it was just like a few girls just spouting like kind of like mean spirited things, just making fun of people and making fun of everyone around them and just being mean for no reason. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's sort of what uh, on the Today Show, that's kind of like how they were interpreting it. But that's really and it, it's funny because a few years later, we did an interview with Dan Rather and he did a little like write up on on what we were doing at the time also. And I think he is someone who really understood what we were doing. Like he went into it, I think not understanding and was like, I expected to just meet these like very superficial, very kind of like annoying girls. (laughs) And and then, but I think he went from reading, from actually meeting us, he understood what it was about, that it was social commentary, that it was all exaggerated, that it was a parody, that like we were talking about a caricature. So yeah, I don't think we've ever even really talked about that in an interview. So um, I'm very excited to have the, the opportunity to discuss it now. Totally. Yeah, Sammy, go. Yeah, what, what do you remember about that? Something that we did always talk about early on between the three of us was that we always felt there were two like cross sections of the audience. There was one that was reading it 
for the joke and to kind of understand that to see the ridiculousness in it and then there was there was a section of the audience that really like idolized it in a way that it was like I should be like this and I always sort of wondered at the time like is this a net good or a net bad for that mm. reason? And then I completely remember, you know, the Today Show and being like personally disappointed because I sort of internalized that as like a failure on our part that like they didn't receive it. You know, I, I didn't understand how to contextualize their lack of understanding sure. with the interview experience that we had had. And you know, that it, look, it's not for everyone. I think if you don't really like uncover, if you don't really know the references, you're not going to get that it's a joke. Yeah. So and there so, is a generational gap too. That That's what I was going to ask. For you guys, was it generational? Was it, was there like a socioeconomic aspect to it? Like, cause it's interesting to me that Dan Rather totally understood what you were <laughs> putting out right. there and that Kathy Lee and Hoda didn't. And so it, I don't know, it, it, that's probably hard to parse through as, as people who founded the brand. I think also the Today Show was our first on-screen interview that we ever did. And we were like 22, 23 years old, something like that. And I think that obviously like not having done any other media or any other training, we didn't really know to like come in that someone might, that someone might not get it almost yeah. or like not understanding. Have prepared. Yeah, exactly. Right. Just like really just entering the real world and kind of coming in with this blog and with this brand associated with us, I think that it wasn't necessarily even on our radar to be like, and you have to show people like what's actually intellectual and interesting and like funny and self-aware about it. Like that was on us to prove to them. And I think that we didn't go in with that. And that was probably a big part of it. Mm -hmm. Also, I will say with Dan Rather, I remember like when, when organizing that interview, his producer was a woman who really understood it. And my guess is that when she pitched it to him and she like prepped him for what it was going to be, she understood enough to like explain it in that way. And, you know, you sort of just have to wonder like, you know, Kathy Lee and Hoda probably, they prepped tons of people every know, day. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Like, so many segments. They're not actually reading like, you know. They were given, the, they were given those poll quotes that didn't, you know, didn't, there were no context and they were, didn't really shine the best light on what you guys were, were talking about. Yeah. Dan Rather, I think, you know, has like probably a different approach to prepping and that producer, I'm sure painted us in a way that, that was more flattering perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And you mentioned how it, it also was sort of a response. It was giving voice to millennial women at the time who weren't being represented in the rise of bro culture and and I think you called it frat tire which I never heard before I like that's a funny term but obviously barstool has you know also had a huge rise over the past decade as well and you know I guess I guess you know I think it's interesting that it hasn't been I mean obviously barstool has seen its own fair share of criticism as well I think you know fairly but to me like the the interview that you again that today show interview sort of represents to me a pushback that they weren't getting at that time by any means, which is like, you know, maybe because we live in a patriarchy and then that, and that, that male point of view is more just accepted. But do you, did you guys feel as though at the time that you guys were getting sort of unfairly criticized because you were young women creating this brand or, or do, you, do you think there was a higher learning curve for culture at large to understand what you guys were, were saying because of that? I 
Totally. I think there was, and still to an extent this day, I think maybe not as much, but there is a sense of men can be funny in a really inappropriate kind of messed up way that might cross the line. And it's Mm -hmm. like, that's just like men being funny. And if women do it, and a lot of the times it's other women who are most offended by it. And I think you saw that with the Kathy Lee thing in that sense too. But I do think there's a sense of like, it's okay for men to go like a little bit further out there. Like you see I mean, obviously, like you see someone like Dave Chappelle who does he does get criticism, too. Yeah. But I just feel like if a, if a woman went up there and did that set, it would be like she would be yeah. over completely. <laughs> I also think you see it in like the um, profiles of different founders, because some of what you see, what it takes to get a found a profile on a male founder that is really unflattering, the difference in the behaviors is really stark to let's say, you know, one that enters my mind is the story of Away, the, um, right. the mm-hmm. luggage company. And the upshot of that was that it seemed like they were just kind of bitchy and overworked them and, and you know, exploitative. But the consequences for, I think, you know, those founders is so much worse relative to the consequences. They're gone, for, yeah. For, right sexual harassment allegations or assault allegations. Well, it's, it's so interesting too, that like there are certain men who are just like, I am not going to be canceled. Like I'm, you're just not canceling me. Like Dave Dave Portnoy and Dave Chappelle are are both like, (laughs) they're both like, you're, I'm just not like, you're not, I'm not, you're not going to do it. Like, and that's right. kind of works. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and they have, and they've cultivated fans and then followers who will support them in that mentality as well, which is just, it, it's an, it, it's, it's hundred percent. You're right. And, you know, I mean, I wasn't even going to ask about that, but like, when you think about the away story, the, the, the story of the wing that, you know, in, in some ways, these women were contemporaries of yours, like, you know, like relative same generation companies came up around the same time. You guys have not, <laughs> gotten that treatment like you were still at your companies and and doing well and thriving did you guys watch those things happening and what were your reactions internally to be like we need to I don't know like it's it's a caution they're all cautionary tales Mm -hmm. definitely I mean I read that and I you know 100% learn from that and I you know I try to it's so funny because there's these men who are like I will not be canceled no matter what I do and I will continue to push the line with my behavior and even make it worse whereas I read something like that and I'm like the, I have the complete opposite reaction I'm like taking stock of maybe things I've said that could have been interpreted you know exactly with more harm than I intended. And I'm, and I'm now like reflecting on my behavior and I'm like more considerate, trying to be more considerate going forward. And it's just, yeah, I mean, they're cautionary tales. And I think that we've always just kind of wanted to like do our best. And yeah. that, that has sort of just been our, our outlook. Like, I also think we're not, although we are contemporaries of let's say like away in the wing, I never really felt that we were, that we would be categorized with companies like that. I think part of it is that, you know, we are completely, we've never taken investors. We've funded this, you know, through its own wow. profit and revenue. And I think we kind of always like kept our heads down and, and really focused on our own business rather than kind of chasing that girl power 
Faded, yeah, but, yeah, and you're not answering to anybody either. You're answering to yourselves. We never tried to girl boss too close to the sun, as the memes <laughs> say. Good pull. <laughs> I love it, and that just describes itself as being for millennials and Gen Z. But I feel like it it really is to me a millennial because maybe because I'm a millennial and I grew up as it was coming up, or I was go- coming growing up as it was coming up, but it really is a millennial brand to me and, and you guys are millennials, but obviously now, right now, like every brand wants to reach Gen Z. They want to kind of Gen Zify their own brands and, and really kind of speak to that next generation. How have you guys been able to do that, tried to do that, or how do you approach that kind of next frontier, I guess? So it, so it's interesting to talk about Gen Z because Gen Z is huge. It's like, I think about Gen Z and it's anyone from like a 10 year old to a 24 year old. (laughs) Exactly. And so when I'm thinking Gen Z, I'm thinking like, okay, it's a certain like aesthetic, but we as a company, I don't think at this point are prepared to try to reach the the bottom. The 10 year olds. So what we're really, what we really are focusing on is sort of like the elder Gen Z, if you will, from that, it's really like a question of like talent and platforms that you're, Mm -hmm. that we want to be on, because the truth is like the two of us are not Gen Z, you know, and you know, we're not Gen Z influencers, but it does become a company-wide content strategy. So that is something we're working on is just sort of expanding in a way that's organic because we want it to be natural and true to the brand of course and not right. really sacrifice that and yeah yeah and i think just to like we never want to for like we never we never tried to like do something and force it just because it was like the thing that that people wanted us to do like again like the like obviously we're on tiktok and and we we're trying to we're working with creators who speak to that audience too but i mean like you said, we are millennials and we do, we try to stick to, we do try to stick at least the two of us in our own personal commentary, stick to what we know, mm-hmm. stick to. And so like a lot of our expansion has been to grow with our audience. So, you know, you have, we've started talking, uh, when we started this company, we were talking about college pregames. Now we're talking about, you know, we have Betch's brides, Betch's moms. We have like a finance vertical money, please. Mm-hmm. So there is, you know, we obviously want to, still appeal to some of the younger generation, but we want to do it in a way that isn't like that, um, that meme of like, how do you do kids? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, In some ways. Yeah. You're, yeah. You're growing with your, I like how you say you're growing with your audience and that to me makes the most sense, you know, and I think it's, you're doing it well before we get into pop culture and Bravo and just kind of shooting about that. um, I'm curious how your guys' personal roles have evolved over the years and and, into what they are now. Cause obviously you both co-host a variety of podcasts and you're still involved in the business side of the company. Talk to me about, about where you guys stand now uh, at, at Betches Media. So, I mean, like you said, it has a hundred percent evolved. It, came, it went from literally the three of us doing every single bit of content. And the three of us are, I would say, we lead with creativity rather than, you know, business acumen sure. or you know, particularly key to organizational skills. So it has been a training, you know, it has been 10 years of training ourselves on how to run a business and really getting us into, you know, more siloed areas. Basically, I 
run the content team. So covering everything on our Instagram accounts, TikTok, podcasts, email, and just any sort of creative, anything related to copy or anything like, you know, marketing and that sort of thing. Jordana, do you want to speak to your? your sure. We've all sort shit. of at some point worked or dabbled in everything. So it's been it's actually in some ways kind of cool because you got to actually see who you are. And we've grown up so much with this company from starting it at 21, 22 years old. And now, you know, our lives are just totally different. What I do is um, I'm chief of innovation, which means I explore like new and interesting and larger partnerships for the brand to sort of expand, whether digitally or through tech. Um, and we've got some exciting things coming at the beginning of next year. So which we can't really fully share, but basically working on like interesting creative product expansions and projects. But in some ways, I feel like your guys' roles really complement each other still. And that's, that's probably really fun for you guys. Cause I mean, obviously <laughs> innovation and creativity go, go hand in hand. So um, that's awesome. Uh, and I, I think it's awesome that you guys have continued to find a place for yourselves as this, as this company continues to grow. I think it's, you're right there with it, which is, which is really cool. So I want to talk a little bit about pop culture and Bravo but I'm curious in general, what are each of your kind of current obsessions when it comes to pop culture or TV or celebrity? Like, what, what, what are you thinking about? What are you watching? What are you obsessed with? I mean, it just ended, but Succession, I'm eager to see where the Sex and the City reboot is going. Yes. Real Housewives of Orange County, very good this season. Salt Lake City, we're continuing to see Major. some standout episodes. <laughs> and um a more recent, oh, I have so many sex lives of college. <laughs> There's so girls. much on right now. That's amazing. Yeah. It's so, so many overwhelming. Good shows. It's so overwhelming. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I named every show. Jordana, any show? <laughs> Do you have any? Yeah, I mean, all of those. I was always a big. It's funny, like how things are just like coming back. So there's Sex mm-hmm. and the City coming back. Dexter came back. I was I was always kind of a big fan of Dexter, so mm-hmm. I'm excited about that. And then you know, we, it's funny on on multiple podcasts, I've done like a high level breakdown of the Taylor Swift all too well. Um, <laughs> Huge Swifty over here, so yeah. I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> love of Taylor. course, it's like everything old is new again. Um, exactly, but slightly different. Do you guys watch the Gossip Girl reboot? I watched like or what five are your feelings? Okay. I okay, I liked it, but I didn't like it enough, I guess, to pick up again. But I did like it. Maybe, maybe I, I will say, I will say, I'm telling I, I know that the first several that first half of the season was kind of a struggle. It took some getting used to, but this the second batch of episodes honestly was a huge level up for me. So I if 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 it's around the holidays or whatever and you want to binge something, give it, I think give it another shot. Maybe I need I to go back to that. Yeah. The second, the second batch. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes I, I'm like, I couldn't help but wonder, is this, <laughs> is the content worse <laughs> because it's trying to be what it was? And with Gossip Girl, I'm like, why don't you just make sort of more of a, make it more of a clear offshoot and then everyone will stop comparing it to, to what it isn't. And like, can we get some new IP up in I here? I know. I know. That's what I, that's what I tell people who are c- complaining to me about the new Gossip Girl. I'm like, but like, it's it's the same universe, but it's a different, it really is a different show. Like you have to kind of approach it as a different show. But then that's why I think, you know, the, the Sex and the City, you know, I guess, and just like that, I don't know if it's a revival or reboot, a continuation, whatever you want to call it. It's a new chapter. To me, like, it's a distinctly a different new, that's show. That's what they call it. <laughs> it. To me, it's like a distinctly different show. It's, it has a different name. One of our main characters isn't there. We don't have the voiceover anymore. 
it's 10 years late you know it's I don't know I think people need to kind of I think it's more about on the audience to like forward their thinking but I don't know maybe that's just me I'm interested to see where, I mean, the Sex and the City, yeah, is like the still, you still have the main, the same people playing the same characters, yeah. which gives it, I think, an attachment that people might not have of course. in the Gossip Girl part. Yeah, yeah for sure. Well, well, it's interesting because it's like, they kind of need to market it based on the previous thing. That's where the marketing value comes in. But then you create expectations that it's going to be matching this amazing this thing that was amazing in the back of our heads right because we were younger and it, it was right different time well that's we like all too well right <laughs> right i actually think of all the things that have lived up to their to their round two all too well is i know jordan i know we talked about this and you don't like the second song as much but i do think the red re-release was incredibly well done of all so too things. I think so I mean, too. Like the exact, here's the thing. It was the exact same. It says, well, that's why it's like, no one's like, this song is worse. It's like the exact same thing. It was the exact like- same, but I think that she, she gave us a couple things that people always sort of wanted, which was yes. a visual component for All Too Well, the, the, the full version of All Too Well. But also like, I, I've always loved the song Better Man that she wrote, that she wrote and never released herself. And now we have, all, I think all five of those new, all six of those new songs for however many they were, were all great. But, and she, the rollout was very Taylor Swiftian. It was very like over the top and in your face, but it worked, I think. It's it's worthy. I, I almost think it's worthy of the over the topness because the vault, so it's not just, you're not just getting the reproduced songs, which in some cases I think are so much better produced on the second version, like Girl at Home is perfect. That's a bop um, now, right? Yeah, <laughs> now. That, exactly. It became like, it went from like a whatever song to a true bop. So you have that. And then the vault songs stand on their own so solidly as really good songs that aren't, that they don't feel like throwaways. Like sometimes her, her secondary releases, like no there's a reason why they weren't released. Yeah. Like the lakes. I'm like, okay, like I'm okay. Fine. Like, yeah, I don't sure. mind it, but I'm not, that's not going on my T-Swift stave list with all 200 other songs. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the, her vault songs are just as good, if not better, as the mm-hmm. original. I totally so. agree. Yeah, I agree. The only one that didn't do it for me for some reason, we are never ever getting back together. There's something off about it for me. The new version, I like, I don't know what it is. It, there's something, I don't know. Honestly, like I don't, I probably listened to it once and was like, <laughs> I've heard this song too many times. A hundred million and, times, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right, so I want to talk a little about Real Housewives. That That's really my, like, my, my, my area. Um, I just had Heather on the podcast. So how was she? Up Heather. She's amazing. I mean, she is like such a pro. Like, and, and like to me, I mean, she's obviously very media trained and she knows what she she knows how to tease things and to talk around things. But I also think that she's like, I don't know, she's she seems like to, she's in a really good headspace right now. And like she's just really <laughs> ready to like take it all on. You know what I mean? And like after her hiatus, do you think she was like yeah, in a bad yeah. he- bad headspace? Well, when I just she think left? I just I think it's interesting when a housewife when a housewife leaves and it's like, okay, you know, obviously you have to parse through whether they chose to leave or they didn't choose to leave. And mm-hmm. whether, and like, if they, if they chose to leave, like, is it just a permanently bad taste in their mouth and they would never come back? And Heather, every interview she had got asked if she was going to come back to Orange County for like five straight years. And I think that can like, that can push, that can polarize somebody and push them even further away from the franchise. But I kind of feel like she always knew she would. She just had to wait for the 
she had to wait out some people on that show. I think she had to wait out certain things in maybe her own life, but I don't know. I I'm think trying she's to like, remember how did it, what was her last, what was going on in her last season? It was, I'm pretty sure it was the Kelly, Kelly Dodd's first season, oh, I want to say. Yeah. And they went overseas and there was that bus ride. And it was just like, I think she in kind Ireland, of saw, right? I, I kind of think that she saw Kelly and was like, I can't be associated with this. I think she saw that that was a slippery slope for the whole show. You know what I mean? Well, Heather has always been sort of in her on her own level in yeah. Real Housewives of Orange County. Like she's got more money than everyone else. She's got a she seems she seems a little smarter than most of the other people. So I do feel like she is a little bit more calculated in a good way. Yeah. About, like very what savvy. She's going to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. Do you think that's maybe our bias as New Yorkers because she brings a New <laughs> Heather's York just better than everyone else because she's from New York. No, I, so I was Gina. There's, there's, just, there's an element of that. And people sure. love Gina. I think people really enjoy Gina's presence. And I think it's it, it's refreshing amongst a sea of like Tamra's and Alexis Bellinos to have like a brunette, first of all. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I agree that she does sort of operate on her own level and but that makes it like she's almost like what Lisa Vanderpump was in season one of Beverly Hills. Mm-hmm. So it's but, yeah, it's interesting. But it, and, and I think I that the show needs to sort of try at least try to meet her there. Like, I don't know if we'll ever get to her level specifically, but like it obviously. Right. I don't know, well, Orange it's kind County. of like, was she meant to be on Beverly Hills? Right. I also I don't, don't know. know how I don't know how far they are proximity wise from each other. But like, why was she cast on Orange County as opposed to Beverly Hills? Because she lives in New York. I guess because just because she lives right? there, but yeah, but like okay. they're not you'd like think, that. You think close. that you would fit, yeah. But maybe maybe it's like she's they're meant to be different. the queen bee, right? But yeah, it seems like you took right. someone from Beverly Hills and you placed them in Orange in the Orange County crew, right? A little I, bit. I, you said I agree with is that I kind of feel like she would pro- Beverly Hills. I think she would thrive on because they keep they cover for each other, but in terms of like big fish, small pond, she definitely benefits from that because here we are talking about how she's on a different level. We're comparing her to, to those, to the OC people. If she were compared to the Beverly Hills people, well, she might just be another, another one one of the, one of the, another Yolanda Foster, you know? Sure. (laughs) I mean, speaking of Beverly Hills, where did you land at the end of this past season? After that four-part reunion, after the Erica of it all, they jumped. They yeah. jumped back right, right back into filming. But where did you guys land when it came to Erica after that whole thing? I thought she did a good job on the interview because she seemed less completely terrible and awful than she did on the show. Still feel like a little weird. Like it's it's funny with her now. I feel like I'm kind of like I don't totally know where to put her. So I think next season will be like swaying. Yeah, in one, I think one so direction too. or another. And I'm I'm curious to see like if they'll if they'll stay on this or if they're gonna like let up on her and like kind of focus their efforts at elsewhere. Because I think there's more to tell, obviously, but it we can't rehash the same stuff over and over. I think they're gonna let up. And I think that no offense to the production or any of them, but they really missed an opportunity for the show to take a different direction by keeping the entire, you know, Fox Force 5, as they call themselves, intact. Mm-hmm. I think they should have taken one or two of them off. I think Dorit's robbery 
gave them a big opportunity to move the focus off of Erica, Porsche's bat mitzvah. You know, there's a lot that's going to be happening that I think will take some of the heat off Erica. And it kind of sucks for Sutton. She's a little bit like the Kendall Roy of the situation where she like took the shot at the King and missed. And yeah, I think also the fact that there's so many cast members, like Mm -hmm. like, they're all staying. So that diffuses some of the interest in any one person. Mm -hmm. And I think this is overall going to be a helpful season. The next one will be helpful for Erica. Although she's, it's like she's fallen and I don't think she's ever going to go back up. I think the the mythology around Erica. Yeah. Yeah. The the Erica Jane like mythology, like is. Yeah. It's, it's been, it's been, yeah, it's not there anymore. And I don't think she can. Yeah, I think so. And I, and I, and like, I don't personally think she knew, I don't think that she knew, but I think that she handled the, I think it would have been fairly, it would have been a lot easier for her to just like be sympathetic and, and take a certain approach to talking about it and she just didn't take that right approach and that's where she botched it and that's where I think she lost and And now it's like we know your real personality and that's your personality and it's something we didn't know about you before that this is (laughs) how you would act so and and you've been been misrepresenting your marriage a little bit and and so or a lot and so it's 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 hard to come back from that so I I kind of think the next season is going to be going to try to be the redemption of Erica Jane and I don't know how much people are going to buy into it Right. Well, that's the issue with Beverly Hills as a whole. No one really tells you about their marriage. What's really going on. You'd only hear it's everything's very carefully curated. Whereas the cool thing about someone like a Shannon Bedore is that Shannon Bedore is like, my husband hates me. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and sometimes she doesn't, she does not come off well with it at all. But I do think there's something that the other franchises have that Beverly Hills does not is a sense of this like I feel a sense of this is real and with Beverly Hills I feel very it's very crafted totally yeah I do think you get that though in like Potomac and that's what I'm saying and not just Jersey. anywhere but yeah. but Beverly, Beverly everywhere else you have yeah. more of a sense of it or even like Salt Lake City where like some of them are very clearly trying to craft an image it's still it, it's transparent and yeah they're, they're not the they're fun. not they haven't been, they have not, the Salt Lake City women haven't been in the game enough for it to be, for them to be like total pros at that, like sort of being the producer and crafting the, the, the narrative and crafting the image. And I think also the viewers are so savvy at this point to like <laughs> know exactly yes. what, you know, XYZ person is doing in the moment. So I think Salt Lake City is like one of them. It's, it's almost meta in a, to, to a certain extent. It's, it's post Instagram. It's, 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 you know, it's post, you know, eight or nine housewives franchises and then here it comes and it's like you know they've all studied the the handbook it also took so little time for the characters bullshit to get uncovered to implode right (laughs) right and that is that's different than any of the other franchises because with them you watched several seasons before slow burn you got to a scam yeah right totally yeah we like don't even know these women that well (laughs) all you know is this the, the scam like yeah. the scam they were running is all they ever were. And the, yeah, and, and to me, Jen Shaw is like such a, almost like a tragic figure. Cause she's, she, she, in some ways she was like born for this. Like she was born to be a reality star. She like is such a character on camera. She obviously tried a little bit too hard that first season. And then it comes crumbling down and, and nobody really believes what she's 
telling us right. this season. Well, she you know hasn't I mean? built up. She hasn't built up any trust with anyone yeah. on the show mm-hmm. or the audience. So there's no reason yeah. to believe her. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. She's a regular who, Hamlet, you know. Who are your, who's your favorite on Salt Lake City? Each of you. I kind of like Meredith just because I yeah love. Not that she's so likable, but I maybe I don't know. Again, she kind of has like more of a New York vibe. I maybe. think it's the. I was gonna say it's the New York bias. Yeah, I think she comes across as the most in control of herself. And I think that's very appealing amongst mm-hmm. many of the other people on the show. Um, mm-hmm. I think Lisa Barlow is like also made to be a housewife. Great. Made. Um, so she's she's great in that capacity. Yeah. She's like Immediately- funny. I feel like she's funny to watch. Oh, I mean, yeah. like yeah. everything she's, the delivery is is like, there's nobody can match her on the delivery. It's like, it's it's amazing. Like the, the one-liners, the, the tone that she takes, it's- it's perfect. It's made for TV. I love it. Before we go, I want to talk a little bit about sort of the the younger like Bravo sphere with the summer house and the Vanderpump rules and the winter house and and all that. Because to me, it's kind of going through the shift right now where like Vanderpump rules reign supreme for eight seasons and 10 years, however long it's been on. But obviously this season is like not really it. It's not. I mean, I still love a lot of those people and I've been having fun watching it, but it's not the same show it used to be. And then here comes Summer House, which has had like the most steady rise of like any Bravo show I can think of. It gets better every single year. And they're sort of feeding the Winter House thing. They're crossing over with Southern Charm. It's like it's becoming this kind of different, different world for Bravo. And I think it's it's working really well. What are your guys' thoughts on Summer House and sort of the Vanderpump Rules maybe reaching the end of its uh, lifeline? Well, Vanderpump Rules, it's kind of like they grew up. Right. And also yes. some of them got kicked off the made like the major toxic players, which gave you so much entertainment are gone. So it's I mean, besides James Kennedy, who's definitely still one of the, like the last remaining awful person. Messy, yeah, messy boy. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's kind of like it almost feels like a natural that that show has tapered off. Also, I feel like the when the show started, Lisa Vanderpump like reigned supreme and it was like her spinoff about totally. her stuff. And now I just feel like She's off Beverly Hills. She doesn't really necessarily have the relevance that she used to. And all those people like they now are married and they have babies and that's like great for them, like in life, but it's just less interesting. It's not great for us as viewers. necessarily. They also have like more money and also, yeah, I think it is a little boring this season because I don't even see what's wrong with Raquel's nose. Like I genuinely cannot find (laughs) the problem but i agree but winter i think summer house and winter house the reason those shows work really well is because part of it was this low rise and it's really catching the peak at a time when they've all become genuinely really good friends and the core people have stuck there and there's a real friendship between i would say the like five main players like carl Lindsay, amanda kyle and danielle Mm-hmm. And I think that that really drives like a great show. And then the people who aren't in that core group are still really good. Like I think Paige is also born for reality TV. Yeah, they, they are interesting characters and Southern Charm also look like I actually think the dating overlap just was really, it really worked and it's a great network. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I agree. I think I, I think Bravo it's, world. I, yeah. and I think Southern Charm. What's interesting is that Southern Charm was sort of 
And it remains to be seen how it's going to sort of rebound, maybe. But I think it was going the same direction as Vanderpump Rules, where last season wasn't amazing. It was sort of like, okay, what are we doing here? And then I think with this, with Paige is going to be on Southern Charm, and and we're gonna, I'm, I'm sure we'll see Sierra and and some other sort of people pop up in there. To me, that that drums up a lot more excitement about the upcoming season of Southern Charm for the first time in like years. You know, I, I don't like I'm looking forward to Southern Charm in a way that I don't think I have maybe like in in a long time. So I don't know. I think it's just a very interesting uh, like uh, inflection point for for Bravo right now. I mean, I think they they needed to do it because you know the Housewives is. I mean, it's the most amazing, brilliant franchise, but it can't be forever like the way mm-hmm. no show can just reign forever no um, well the so- nice thing about housewives though is that they don't their lives don't evolve in the same way that like a vanderpump rules cast would like they already have they're already ha- post the having a certain kids point right stage right so they can continue sort of more storylines that point. don't involve them maturing because they're already like I wouldn't want to say mature, but <laughs> <laughs> but you almost you almost want to skip ahead like five or ten years of Vanderpump Rules and see if you can create like a co-ed housewife show with them. You know what I mean? Where it's like because some some of these people I really do love, but I don't know. And I think I mean tying it all back, like Betch, there are some people that worked together at Betches that sort of reinvigorated Summer House, and I think Summer House was struggling as a show for two seasons, and then it, we got to the third season and. Paige and Hannah and Jordan come on who I guess did they all meet at meeting at Betches is that, is um, that what happened some of some of them did okay um I actually don't know I think some of them knew each other before and then some okay. of them did Paige was a freelancer got it um, and I'm pretty sure that's where she met um, okay both of them well that but, yeah that was sort of like the story oh, yeah. that I was always that I always sort of heard and so that's interesting now like, I mean we're tying all back but like that was really the year that Summer House kind of, I think, solidified itself and was like, okay, we're, we, we did a little cast reshuffle and then now we could, we, we found some great people to, to integrate here. Well, I feel like they were always kind of trying to find their footing with the cast. Like the first few years was a yeah. lot of changing. Like you had the twins who I actually kind of liked and thought were entertaining. And then they took them out. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like they yeah. were, that's sort of what they were doing is trying to find their grounding by adding in those people. But the difference to me between Summer House and Vanderpump Rules is also like, Summer House, they live together for and what do you know? I mean, that's why they do the trips in Real Housewives, because they want to put them in the same place so that the tension builds up and then it explodes. And in Vanderpump Rules, they like they they see each other for filming. But in Summer House, it's like this sort of unnatural thing where they're all placed in a house for like 16 weeks. Yeah, it's a good point or something. Vanderpump Rules worked more when even though they were working together and showing up for filming they also were really friends and dating each other and like for years prior to the show and like you just can't you can't fake that dynamic you can't make it happen no matter how great the combination of women is or people whatever it is you just can't create real friendships that have already existed and relationships that where you've dated each other you know, you can't create that out of nowhere. You have to like insert yourself into that. So mm-hmm. that's why Vanderpump was so good. Um, and then Summer House, I think those, again, by the time it caught that like third or fourth season, those earlier people who remained were really close and getting married. And once you're on this show for this long, there's only a few people who like really understand your life. Because mm-hmm. and those are the people who are like literally have the same exact experience. So to me, it makes sense that they would all be so, so close because 
who else is going to get it? Your friend from high school isn't on the show and doesn't get how your life has changed and what, you know, this whole, this whole weird, bizarre experience that most people don't understand. Or you, or you meet somebody on hinge in, in April. And then it's, and then you go to film summer house two months later and you're like, Hey, can you come visit me? But also you have to get mic'd up and film a date and And sign a waiver. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) And go on TV. So yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm excited for what's to come on Bravo. I think we're at a really, I think, I think, you know, early days of COVID, it was kind of like, uh, what's going on here? Like, like a lot of the shows weren't great, but I think uh, I'm excited as, as a Bravo fan. I think the future is bright. So <laughs> Same. Great. well, Jordana and Sam, this is so much fun to hear about Betches and just pick your brains about pop culture. Plug whatever you want to plug before we, before we sign off here. Cause I think that's all the time we have. You were a really great interviewer. So thank oh, you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so really much. Fun. A really, fun, really fun conversation. Fun Thank yeah, you. Um, obviously, you can follow Betches on Instagram. You can follow our podcasts, the Betches Network, anywhere you listen to podcasts. I host you up a dating and relationship podcast. Sammy hosts the morning announcements and is also a host of the Betches Sup. You can follow me on Instagram at Sammy Jordana's at Jordana Abraham. Yeah. And we have a new podcast all about like a fun, a fun look into to personal finance called Money, Please. So definitely check oh, nice. that out as well. And Bravo by Betches. If you love the Bravo conversation, we have a whole podcast. We love Bravo by Betches. Or mention it all. The podcast is called. Yes. Well, thank you guys so much. And um, happy new year. I think this is coming out right before the new year. So um, I'm sure we'll we'll, we'll talk again soon. Thank you guys so much. Yeah. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. For more celebrity interviews, subscribe to We Should Talk on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us as any show of support you can give us would be greatly appreciated. You can follow me at Gibsonoma on Twitter and Instagram, and you can follow In The Know at In The Know on Twitter and at Watch In The Know on Instagram. We'll talk to you next time.